Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. Today, me and John are going to be breaking down some monotone boards. John, welcome back to the show, sir. Cool. Thanks for having me back, Brad. It's my pleasure. I don't have much of a choice. What, what other choice do I have? <laughs> Coach Thomas still cannot talk. <laughs> Hopefully he's on the mend and feeling better and ready to start talking sometime in the near future. I, I have to imagine that his wife is not loving the fact that like he can't answer her ever about anything. Uh, it sounds like he's getting better, though. So hopefully be, he'll be back uh, back in the booth soon and you'll have a, an actual professional uh, on the other side of the mic. What are you talking about? A professional what? Like professional a, coach. Someone who knows what, they're, knows what they're teaching. Okay. I would say both of you guys right now are professional poker players. And quite honestly, you're more professional poker players than I am. You, you know, you guys make your living playing cards. And I feel like whenever I get to play a session of like 1K No Limit, that it's like a treat. Like, oh, cool. I, like I, I get to play for a couple of hours and see how I do because of, you know, all the other things that I got going on in life. Yeah. Uh, well, so unfortunately, when you play every single day, it's, it's uh, not as exciting as that. I know. That's why I'm here, John. <laughs> That's why Chasing Poker Greatness actually exists because of that very thing. So I totally understand the daily grind and how it can wear you down. So let's let's hop into hand number one. Yeah. You, can, you can give the listener the action. So hand number one starts, uh, this is 510 no limit, six max cash on ignition. So the hand starts with me under the gun with ace, king of spades, $1,037 in my stack. I open to $25, and the big blind, who very much appears to be a reg, calls, and we go to a king, 10, 6, all heart, flop, by flop, top pair, top kicker. Again, I have ace, king of spades. The big blind checks, which is what I expect him to do with his entire range, um, and I decide to check back. I think that is probably... First thing that you want to talk about, Brad? Yeah. Why are we checking back, John? So I'm very uh, not, I'm not very studied and probably for that reason, not very comfortable on monotone boards. I think that one of the situations that I know that I am very uncomfortable in would be like betting a hand that I have right now, Ace King of Spades, and getting check raised and knowing that my hand basically never improves. Uh, to anything better than one pair and probably doesn't improve to a hand that will ever be ahead of my opponent's value check raising range. Um, so oftentimes, or I can probably safely say almost every time I have some sort of value that I can't, that doesn't improve and that I very much want to get to showdown with, um, I sort of try to make these monotone boards more of a two street game um, and play turn your rivers and, and uh, I'm doing a lot of checking on, on 
these monotone flops. I don't know if you have, you know, if you think that maybe that's just kind of wissing out of a out of a tough situation or not. No, I think it's what you ought to do. And when you really start looking at how the equities run here, you're going to find out that like Ace King has great equity against a bunch of hands villain has. It does not do so hot when villain starts taking a bunch of aggressive actions um, like check raising us and then barreling turns. So basically we have a fair amount of equity versus range. Checking back shortens the decision tree. We can get to the river and realize our equity much more frequently when we start out by checking. And because of that, I love the check. And I think that this is my preferred strategy here. Cool. So check, check on the flop. The turn brings the ace of hearts. So now the board is ace, king, 10, six, all hearts. And the big blinds decides to bet 1.5x pot on the turn. He bets $80 into $55. Yeah, so he goes polar here repping really trying to rep like the queen of hearts i assume i think i don't like their sizing really i i think that like it's 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 an odd it's an odd sizing to be used here and you know my first suspicion would be that my first suspicion would be that this sizing might be a little bit over bluffed uh but with that said like I just can't find a ton of hands that want to use this overbet sizing. Like it just to what, what's the goal here? If you have queen Jack with the queen of hearts, like to fold out all of villains worse hands. Like, I, I don't know exactly what they're trying to accomplish. And so like, again, I, I would be inclined to do a lot of checking if I were the villain, but they do go polarized here and I'm not really sure what to make of it. I mean, I guess they have some queen X of hearts, but really do they, do they even choose this sizing with Queen X of Hearts, knowing that it's so hard for them to get called on two streets because we don't have a ton of hearts ourselves and we've got a lot of pair type hands? Like so. Anyway, there's a lot of variables here that make this overbet kind of odd to me. I can see myself. I mean, I can see a justification for betting uh, this size with the Queen of Hearts. If I'm in the big blind, if I'm you know, if I'm looking at this from the perspective of the big blind. I wouldn't expect the under the gun player to fold the jack of hearts even to this size once flop goes check check. Like if I check back pocket jacks with the jack of hearts, I don't think I'm gonna fold to this 1.5x on the Yeah, but you gotta have it. (laughs) You gotta have pocket jacks with the jack of hearts so that you can call. Yeah, but I'm just saying that I think that there's a like a value range that he can target with this. Like worse hands that would call um two two streets of giant bets. Maybe not two, but I I think one thing that I'm cursed with in this hand too is the curse of knowledge and that I know the result of this hand. And so I know what our opponent is doing this with, and that might be biasing or influencing my opinion here. Um, I think when we get, when we find out the reveal, I'll give my thoughts then about this turn play. But for now, I'll throw the mic back to you and ask for your thoughts here with top two pair. So my first thoughts are going to be like trying to interpret this 1.5x pot turn bet from the big blinds. I agree with everything you said. I think it's very polarized. I think it's going to be a lot of queen of hearts for his flushes. I don't expect him to bet any other flush this size. And to balance that out, I presume this good reg is going to have some sort of bluffing strategy on these boards. And I think the real question is like, what type of hands make sense to bluff on monotone boards? I think it's pretty 
it's uncomfortable to find bluffs on these monotone boards. Um, it's not like you can use like low flushes because those are just drawing dead versus bigger flushes that are just going to call down. So, um, you know, maybe this is like something that we can talk about together, but like, do you have a preference or like strategy that you use to uh, find bluffs on monotone boards? I don't know. I mean, this is a very specific example of UTG versus big blind and then checking back. Not really. I, I find that when villains check back on monotone boards like this, they just more often than not are playing a two street game and not inclined to do a ton of folding. So like, it's really hard for me to find a bunch of like seven, eight of club type hands that I'm willing to just kind of go bananas with. Maybe if my opponent is a fish, then I could find more bluffs because I think that that player profile would be less inclined to check back hands that they deem as fairly vulnerable, like King Queen offsuit, right? On King 10 6. Mm -hmm. General wisdom would be to bet to, pre to prevent a four flush from coming off. So, like against that player profile, I, I would be way over bluffing um, on these types of turns and then probably following up with the river. But Against a reg, I mean, it's tough. Like, like I'm probably just playing a pure check strategy. Okay, interesting. So I guess I'll, I'll share my thoughts on like how I kind of think about bluffing on these monotone boards and sort of what I projected onto the big blinds um, just based on my, my own strategy. I have no idea if this is what he was doing, um, but I think that my, my preference on monotone boards is to pick bluffs that have equity versus my opponent's potential flushes. Um, since having blockers is really just not a thing on monotone boards. Um, you know, like you can't, you either have, if you have a blocker, you have nuts, you, you, you don't. So I usually pick hands that have uh, outs versus a flush. And in this case, um, I have ace king, two pairs. So that would be a hand that I think I, I might choose to bluff. I, I think the big blind in this case can have uh, a lot of two pair and set combos. You can have ace six suited, ace ten suited, king ten suited, king six suited, pocket sixes, maybe pocket ten sometimes if he doesn't three bet those pre. Um, so I thought that that those types of hands would make up his bluffing region, and then his value region is obviously just whatever queen of queen x of arts he gets to uh, the turn with, which could be any number of combinations. Well, that's very surprising considering what I know you're about to do here on the turn, and we'll talk about why you chose this specific action here on the turn. Yeah. So um, again, like I said, I have ace king spades. The board is ace king ten six. I uh, thought that okay, like this is more honestly, this is more of me just like wanting to try this out in a situation that sort of presented itself. Um, I was like, oh wow, I get, I get to, I have like a combo that I think I should be bluffing some of the time on monotone boards. I don't know if this is the right time to use it. This guy like went polar with his turn c bet, um, and my decision was just to polarize even more and raise his $80 bet uh, to $200. I think if my perception of the big blinds bluffing construction on the turn is correct, um, I actually think that this size will get called by significantly more hands than just the queen of hearts, um, considering that a lot of the hands that he's bluffing with are going to have equity against uh, against the queen of hearts. So I think this like very small sizing gets called by sets and two pairs. Um, I definitely think they're there can be an argument for going bigger, like raising an $80 bet to 200 is very, very small on the surface. Um, I was mostly concerned about setting up a very, very uh, meaty river jam on brick rivers. 
Um, so that was my logic for sizing down small. Obviously, the maybe the more pertinent issue here is why I decided to raise it all. Yeah, I mean, you do beat the, some of the two pair combos that you said would call, and a lot of times, like when you beat when you beat a portion of villain's range on the turn, you don't want to make them fold all the hands that we beat. But I will give you that 200, I think, is a good sizing. I, I don't think you're going to be bluffing here very often at all. And because I don't think you're going to be bluffing very often at all, I think the 200 is the preferred sizing in this situation. And I, I like the thought. I mean, you don't have much equity facing a flush. You don't have much equity facing a set. Uh, so I, I do like the thought of turning your top two pair here, which, you know what, we're pushing like 8% equity against the flush and like queen X of hearts is going to be bet three betting uh, on some sometimes. And I guess that's a different conversation for another day. I actually don't think the queen of hearts should ever be, I, I don't think this opponent should ever have a bet three bet range facing this turn raise. I agree. So Either way, you know, you make it 200 and villain calls. And I guess your plan is to fold out pocket tens, pocket sixes on blank rivers. Or maybe if the villain is like doing a very weird thing with like a jack 10 of with a jack of hearts. No, you're not folding the jack of hearts. Who am I kidding? Um, <laughs> they're, never, <laughs> they're never folding the second nut flush. But anyway, you can fold out some of the some of those other hands. Uh, like sets of 10 sets of sixes on the river yeah um i just looking at this hand again now i totally agree with you i think i just got way too trigger happy with this exact combo like ace king you're right like beats all the two pairs that he's bluffing with and this is probably like one of the ones that i should be more okay with calling down with um i can see myself like this being way more of an enticing raise if i had a hand like a six that loses to ace 10 as well um if, maybe if i had like a hand like king 10 I don't know if I would check that back, check that back on the flop. I probably would. So yeah, I, I can see like Ace King kind of just being a little bit too strong, and maybe a, like a combo that just doesn't make sense to raise, given that I beat every other two pair combo. I think some cool hands to raise with might be check back sixes, yeah. six six seven of clubs that checks back because you oh, block cool. you block a six and you block sets. Yeah, the reasonable oh, sets. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, just a pair because okay. you you block you block the portion of villains range where they have you know some of the the more mer merged portion of their two pair and sets uh, i think that might be pretty important here but anyway i guess because we block it that could be a reason not to raise because then they have more queen x's so i digress I, i'm circling uh, the drain here and don't want to get into too much hypothetical land but you do open to or you do raise to 200, our opponent does call. You can share with the listener how this river plays out because I, I won't spoil that for you. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, I raise to 200, the big blind calls. Uh, the board right now is ace-king-10-6, all hearts. I have ace-king of spades. And the river pairs the board and brings the king of diamonds. Um, so I make the second nut full house on the river. There's $455 in the pot. I have 812 left. The big blind has me covered, and he open jams the river, um, and I call. <laughs> yeah, because you got the nuts now. Or, <laughs> well, not the nuts, but you got a good enough hand to call with. You do lose to a royal, and ace is full. But 
this this kind of goes this is hilarious did you reveal what the villain had no not yet i actually so i wanted to take my time before calling here not because i was worried about being beat but like i just wanted to think about like what hands make sense for him to like just jam the river obviously i didn't wait i was like way too concerned about slow rolling i don't know why it's anonymous maybe i should care less about that but like yeah i I sort of wanted to take a beat and just think about like okay what hands is he doing with doing this with like is it only like king ten or i don't know something like that like that would make sense i guess some other boat that he made on the river but yeah (laughs) i was just we were happy to see that he ripped the river for me i would say he's not bluffing I would say he's not going to find very many bluffs with this line when the king pairs. And so the the reveal is that the opponent has a set of sixes. So they called the small raise on the turn trying to realize equity. They accidentally realized their equity or they realized their equity on purpose, but it accidentally destroyed their life. And then they jammed the river. My assumption is that they interpreted your turn small raise as you never having ace king and you pretty much always having queen x of hearts so they just took the exploitative path of making a boat and putting you in a tough spot with your queen of hearts combos yeah that's i mean that's sort of for me the big takeaway from this head was that he the big wide uh clearly didn't give me credit for having any bluffs on the turn and Thought that I was narrowed down to only Queen X of Hearts combos. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it gets weird trying to find bluff combos, right? Because like, villain needs to have Ace Ten, uh, needs to have Ace Ten, and be aware enough that when the King pairs, he gets to try to make us fold our Queen of Hearts with his blockers. Like right. that's that's really the only path I think that villain shows up with a bluff. And I mean, man. It, if that's you, then God bless you and well done. But I think most people are never going to see that bluff in real time. Yeah, I agree. And so this hand on the monotone board is now wrapped up and we're about to look at a hand where, quite frankly, John gets a little bit owned. <laughs> he gets he gets taken to school on another monotone board. So stick around after the break. If you're a fan of watching John get destroyed. (laughs) Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. Welcome back to this Tactical Tuesday, dealing with some monotone boards. If one thing wasn't very apparent to you, I think it's pretty apparent to me that 
maybe me and John ought to do a little bit of research and work in playing these monotone boards with being the aggressor and being the person who's on defense. What do you think, John? Yeah, um, I think this hand will definitely illustrate how much work I have to do um, when I am on defense. Uh, this hand, and on a monotone board, this hand has actually been bugging me for quite a while, like probably over a month. I brought this hand up um, during Poker Power Hour, which is uh, Greatness Village's weekly group coaching session um, that runs on Wednesdays, and got a little bit of feedback from uh, some of the members, but still just can't get this one this hand off my mind. Um, this hand pumps me up. Like this hand excites me. I'm excited to talk about this because you get posterized so hard. And like, <laughs> this is just such next level of ownage that like, just even knowing that there's somebody out there who can uh, do this to another human being is exciting to me. Uh, I, I really hope that person is not listening to this. Cause I just don't want to give them, I just have no desire to give them the ego boost of knowing how hard they Hey man, you, you got to give the props out. You got to give the props. This person deserves the props. Like you got to respect, you got to respect this dude's game. This one was too much. You know, like if it was like, if it was like, eh, you know, like a hand I thought about for a day and like, oh, good job. You got me. But this one has been bugging me for months. Like I cannot let this person know that. <laughs> yeah. You need some, you need some mindset work and learning yeah. to let these things go. I think. So let, let's not tease the listener anymore and let's dive into the hand. Start us out with the action. So the hand starts out, again, this is 510 uh, cash, 6 max cash on ignition, uh, fish limps under the gun, and a reg on the button isos to $35. I 3-bet from the small blind with ace-queen of hearts to $150. Uh, both the big blind and the under the gun limper fold, and the reg on the button 4-bets to $335. Um, I guess I should... Uh, mentioned that this hand started out with us 115 big blinds effective. Um, the button's four bet was to $335, and I decided to call with a screen of hearts. I, I think one thing here before we talk about the flop is pre-flop and your ultimate decision to three bet. And I think that a screen suited is probably too strong to flat i would be flatting pretty heavily in these types of situations from the small blind even though you're not technically supposed to because of the under the gun whale i don't like three betting a ton and isolating myself against the good reg who's on the button and has position and kind of kicking out the under the gun limper so i would not be this would not be a pure three better fold situation for me. I'd be quite happy to flat some of my stronger hands, like ace jack suited. I think I, I would flat maybe a pure flat here, ace 10 suited for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you should definitely be opening up your flatting range from the small blind when there's a potential for a fish to also be in the hand. Um, I think that's even more so true um, at 1KNL where the rake is um, not as big of a factor and like. There's, I mean, there's the risk. I think is like you flat ace ten of spades, and the fish folds anyways, and now you have a three bet pre, and you're just out of position versus a strong reg. You know, maybe paying like a lot of rake to play this hand, but like when the rake is low, like that situation becomes uh, less um, sort of less expensive, I guess. It's not, it's not actually a bad outcome to be out of position with a hand that's stronger than your opponent's range post flop here, and. Sure. 
yeah, you and your rake, you're making decisions <laughs> based on the rake aspects of it. I, one, one thing that I, I think is also ought to be thought about too is ignoring the rake. And as you move up in stakes, um, the rake is less of a factor. But I would say that the caliber of player that you're playing against at 1K, the caliber of reg is much, much higher than the caliber of reg at 200. And so, you know, building pots and playing out of position versus a high caliber player, I mean, it's tough. It's it's tough sledding regardless of, you know, <laughs> regardless of anything else. It's just really, really hard to play against a, a very tough reg who has position and can make your life hell on various runouts. Tough going. Okay. Well, we'll see that in a second, actually. So, <laughs> we yeah. Well, it's not just this run out that he made your life hell. It's it's a wide spectrum of boards. But with all that said, we see a flop of Ace King Trail Spades, monotone flop once again. There's six hundred ninety dollars in the pot at this point. Effective stack is eight twenty three. John starts out by checking, and our reg. Here starts out by C betting. They go with a little bit under one fourth, which, in my opinion, is to be totally expected. I would just expect to see this bet before they even put it out there. But I'll throw it back to you and ask you what your thoughts are here, John. Yeah, this is totally the size that I would expect to see. Um, I guess this is probably a little bit, maybe a little bit small considering. Um, uh, it's like this, maybe the V standard size is a quarter and it's a little bit less than that. But I think given that their stacks are so shallow, it's a four bed plot with um, just a little bit over an SPR of one and, and on an, a monotone board uh, as well. I think this $152 C bet is going to be very good. <laughs> it's going to be very good. And I, I will say this though, before we go forward in a yeah. four bet pot like this, I don't think the villain ever has any, flushes or very very few flushes like they need to be four betting queen jack suited queen 10 suited nine 10 suited maybe like seven eight of spades it, it seems very difficult for them to actually have a flush here but i agree once the ace and the king of spades are both on the flop i would expect the button to have no flushes actually yeah no flush no flushes four bet especially in position i don't think they're four betting queen 10 of spades and seven eight of spades it's just so easy to just call and well, it's not easy. It's right to call in position, right? right? Like it's, it's not just that it's easy. That's the thing that you should do. You shouldn't be reopening the action. And like, just to add on an extra point, like when I three bet preflop, the fish was still in the hand. Um, and I think when I three bet pre, the fish was still in the hand. He had still limped and he still had cards. So I think that the button might perceive my range to be a little bit stronger than normal when I three bet in this situation. Like Brad mentioned, I it's very reasonable to flat um, a decent portion of your range that you might three bet versus a button open, but because the flush isn't there, you want to play with them. Um, I might be flatting some hands that I wouldn't three bet. Also, the fish only started the hand with four hundred dollars, which is forty big blinds. So, me three betting to fifteen big blinds is, um, I think, carries more weight when the fish is short stacked uh, versus when the fish is has a hundred big blinds. This pains me to say this, but now that I've really had time to think about the preflop play. I think folding pre is very reasonable, even with a hand as strong as ace queen suited. Uh, how come? 
because when we three bet, we're very value heavy. We don't have a ton of bluffs. Villain still goes ahead and reopens the action. Like, what is ace queen dominating? I don't think that they're four betting jacks here. Mm. Like, what four bet bluffs do they have? It's like, I can't come up with four bet bluffs. Especially because, like you said, you threatened the the whale. So, like, you're happy getting it in pre. Like, that's what they know. This guy's happy getting this hand in pre versus 40 big blinds, and they're reopening the action and targeting you. Like, I just think ace-queen suited is going to be just destroyed versus their four-betting range all the time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, uh, that makes me feel worse about the hand, but... (laughs) Well, you know, it's a thing that, like, maybe doesn't come to you in the moment, but for the listener, maybe a similar thing will happen, or maybe for you, a similar thing will happen, and you'll be able to find an exploitable fold with a hand that is as strong as ace-queen suited. Like, I'm not saying that we should be regularly folding ace-queen suited, but in spots where, because of the whale, that data point really affects our strategy in a massive way. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that I totally misinterpreted the action pre-flop, like, when it actually happened. I think what you said is the right interpretation and and, um, should have been, like, what I landed on. For some reason, I thought that like once the fish folds, which he did after I three bet, I thought like, okay, the button's just going to have four bet bluffs now because he doesn't have to worry about the short sack fish. But like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like he knows that I'm happy to get it in for 40 bigs with this guy preflop. And like, that's my range. And like, I don't, I probably don't have ace five suited here. I probably don't have like, I don't know, jack 10 suited. Um, a lot of the sort of the bottom end of the bottom end of my three bet range. Uh, yeah, you're going to a duel right now at high yeah. noon yeah. and they know that you've got a giant sword. <laughs> and you're like, hey, hey, buddy, look at this. Like, I got this giant sword. And they're like, okay, see you at noon. Like, <laughs> they, they just keep putting money in the pot. Like, hmm, maybe they know something that I don't, right? Right, right, right. I feel uh, like see you at noon would be like the button calling, but this guy was like, no, let's just do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Why wait till noon? Let's yeah. do this right now. But I got a sword here. What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> now, let's just do it now. We're good. Don't worry about it. Uh, anyway, so... You do call, and we face this one-third C-bet, and you call the C-bet with your top pair. And top kicker, there's now 994 in the pot. The turn peels off the jack of spades. So now there's ace-king, jack, tray of spades on the board, four to a flush. You take the action of checking. Now your opponent bets some amount that I can't even do the math on how small it is. It looks to be about 13% pot. What did you make of this very, very tiny bet? They leave them, they bet 132. They leave themselves with 539 behind. I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> it's less than he bet on the flop. That's kind of funny. Something that I just noticed now. Um, he bet 152 on the flop. He's betting 132 into 994 now. I don't know how to interpret 13% pot. I mean, it's almost like a check <laughs> at the end of the day. And I just thought like, well, I have top pair in a four-bet pot. Uh, can't fold to this on the turn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do to 13%. <laughs> well, okay. Filling bet 13%. Uh, you've got top pair on four flush board. You decide to make the call, which I think it, you, 
I guess you probably should call. I, I don't know. Again, uh, this is a spot that I think we could have bajillion the hands and never be able to come up with the correct answer. This is such an obscure and rare situation. But you go ahead and call because why not? You can't you can't win the pot if you fold. Um, and the river is a nine of diamonds. Tell us about the river, John. So yeah, the river is a nine of diamonds. Board is now ace, king, jack, three, all spades, nine of diamonds on the river. $1,258 in the pot. I check the button, puts in his remaining $539.75. I don't know, just to give the listeners some context, I guess. I'm, I'm getting 3.33 to one on the river. I have no idea whether I should be calling or folding with this hand. Um, I expect the villain's range to be pretty polarized once he jams the river. Like, I don't know exactly what his bluffs are going to be, but hopefully he has some bluffs and I expect <laughs> the value range to be flushes. Um, yeah, that's that was the extent of my uh, analysis, I guess. I was like, I'm getting a good price on the river. I have top pair in a four-bed pot. Like, let's, let's just see what he has. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> it, again, figuring out bluffs here feels like a fool's errand because who knows? Like, you're hoping for, like, red tins or yeah. the combos of queens that don't have a spade. <laughs> now, like, now that we've, like, had that, like, preflop kind of discussion and revelation, like, I realize, like, he just never has those hands preflop. Like, he's never four-betting tens. no. Exactly. He's just calling in position. So like basically he doesn't really have any bluffs and because he doesn't have any bluffs, you know, we're, we are getting a good price and you know, John is not one to pass up getting a great price here <sighs> on the river only needing to win more than 23% of the time. So you go ahead and pay the river, pay the man his money. Yeah. So like and, I said, I expected flushes or bluffs on the river and I call the river. My opponent turns over ace king for top two pair. How did that make you feel, John? So I, I'm not the type of person that like ever has the inclination to like shut a session down because of a bad beat or a bad run out or a bluff that didn't work or like something like that. This hand, when I saw how wrecked I got just throughout the entire hand, made me want to shut down the session and just like curl up into a ball and like <laughs> I mean this guy I was like, man, this guy is so much better at poker than I am. <laughs> Well, let's figure out why he's better at poker than you. Because, I mean, like you said, it's obvious he's much better. <laughs> Based on the way he played this hand. Let's figure out why that's the case. Um, really, you don't have many flushes. I think is one of the major parts of this puzzle is that, like, he does beat a fair amount of your, like, suited ace-type hands. And he beats ace-jack. He beats ace-tray. It's hard for you to have queen x like you're not calling out a position with like queen jack offsuit where you have the queen of spades you're likely not even flatting with queens preflop you're just getting it in so like in this situation specifically it's very difficult for you to have a spade which basically means you've got a bunch of ace queens you've got a bunch of ace jacks and he just gets to shove in the money with his half pot value bet size yeah it's didn't see it in game, but definitely see it now that like, I think the best set that I get to the river with that isn't a flush is pocket jacks that turns a set. Um, What's the problem with that? You've got to call the flop with red jacks of ace, king, tray, all spades. That's a good point. 
Am I doing, am I even calling like less than a quarter on the flop out of position with pocket jacks? Yeah. Or puck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a good point. Uh, no, I mean, Dylan just made a really good analysis of the hands that you're going to be flatting the four bet range with. And the fact that on this four plush board, you either have a Royal where you have queen 10 of spades and flopped it and turned a Royal, or you've got a lot of like ace queen and ace jack type hands that may just pay off on this four flush facing getting good, a good price and facing a river jam. So they, you know, widened their value bet range. And I think that's, that's a great adjustment that the villain made. And like, sometimes, you know, John, you just got to tip your hat and say, nice hand and move on. All right. Nice hand, man. <laughs> wow. That was through the most clenched teeth that I've ever heard. Isn't, isn't, isn't nice hand usually said through clenched teeth? <laughs> well, seeing as my money wasn't on the line here, I, I will say very nice hand. <laughs> okay. Very nice hand to you, buddy. I think you played it very, very well. I think there's a lot that the listener and you and me can take away from the way that this hand was played. And, I, I hate ending it with just fold pre, but you know, fold pre, John. We, <laughs> we we could have folded pre, and this nightmare never would have went down. But the principles in place, like in a four bet pot, you don't have offsuit combos flatting out of position on this specific board. Means that you don't have hardly any flushes, which means that they get to value bet their top two pair and like their sets of kings. Yeah, yeah, and that's just to like make matters worse i guess or like add insult to injury like he didn't even take that long on the river to find the gym like it wasn't like he if i remember correctly it's not like he like timed down into his time back and was like mm, like is this too thin or is like should i go for this like he was just like yep nine of diamonds boom all in well he probably knew on the turn what his plan was like yeah, he, yeah. he probably knew on the turn that like maybe he doesn't even put all the pieces together but he could also think that you're jamming on the turn a ton when you have the queen of spades like you're oh, not just flatting you get impatient, you jam, and facing a flat, you're just way more likely to have some sort of ace-type hand than you are the queen of spades. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's... Oh, man. Just got Owens all over the place in all sorts of ways this hand. <laughs> Sometimes you get posterized, and you know at least they're not building a poster out of this hand. We're just putting a digital audio file on the internet that everybody can listen back to until the end of time. Thank God there won't be like a... $10 million NFT of me getting dunked on. Just wait. <laughs> Just wait until Jason Booker greatness blows up. Like, this is going to be... <laughs> this is going to be the one. <laughs> this is going to be the one. Man, it, it, it's been great. I love these monotone boards, actually. This was a really fun episode. Thank you for your time and your energy, as always. And thank you to the listener for sticking around. More episodes coming at you later this week. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.